Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. God cares incredibly about life. That's not a surprise. That is not brand new information for anyone who knows God, who reads his word and knows that God cares about life. And it's even more than that. God created life. Genesis 1 and 2, God created life. This is God's creation. We are God's creation. And the miracle of life that he did with Adam, that he did with Eve, he does again and again and again every single time a baby is born. And how do I make that conclusion? Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. We see the personal handprint of our creator on every human life. We are absolutely different than any of the other creatures in this whole world. God cares immensely about life. God cares immensely about the sanctity of life. Why is that? Is there something in this that testifies to God's character, to God's person, his very essence, his heart, his mind? Yes, it is. It does. Our life is representative of God's creative, artistic hand that images and has a likeness unto himself. It is that personal with God. There is a sanctity of life with God. Let's open in prayer, and then we're going to be in Genesis 19 today. The author and creator of life. Oh, wonderful God, the one who sees us as we are, the one who still loves us as we are. When you see us with all of our, our createdness, the created aspects in us which testify to you, and then also our fallenness, our fallen nature, our sinful flesh, you still love us. And it is out of this great compassion and love for us, God, that we find our meaning and our purpose and our identity. And we find the greatest relationship 
that we could ever know. It's with not just our God of today, but our God of all time, our creator God. Our loving, compassionate, merciful to us God and our Savior. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God cares about life. And there is a large contingent in this country which is focused on death. Halloween, and I won't get into holidays or into this too much, but it is largely focused on death. And that is the quote-unquote holiday that is in our country this week, later this week. This is a quote-unquote holiday that is focused on darkness. It is focused on the demonic realm. And it is focused on death. But apart from Halloween, there are millions and millions and millions of people, a large representation in this country, and not just in this country, that is focused on death. They are focused on talking down about the good nature of people who love and who have equality in their mindset toward their brethren. If you love your neighbor who's of a different faith and of a different ethnicity than you, if you have compassion on a neighbor who is of a different sexuality than you, or has different hobbies than you, or works at a different workplace or in a different industry than you, and even though you're of different faiths and as a Christian, as a believer, or as someone who is seeking faith, you think, I'm still going to treat them well. I'm still going to treat them with love. I'm still going to treat them with respect and with compassion and with a neighborly mindset, a friendly mindset with kindness and mercy and forgiveness. There is a faction in this country who is focused on death who does not believe in equality. And in that, they say, all men and women are not created equal in the sight of holy God. I'm not even sure that they believe in holy God. Because they deride the aspects in us which testify to our creator. And then they deride life itself with abortion. And abortion is death from life. And God is focused on life. You see it in the creation of life. You see it all the way at the very beginning. You see it in God's choosing of Adam. God's choosing of Noah. Of Abraham. God chooses. You see it in the fact that, yes, God believes in justice. And he will not let wickedness go unpunished. Why? Because God is just. So justice values human life. And God is a God of justice. And God is a God of forgiveness 
And God is a God of mercy, and God is a God of kindness, and God is a God of compassion. And after all the people, to the last man in the city of Sodom, surrounded Lot's house and turned into a violent mob. We now pick it up today in chapter 19, verse 12. If you have your Bible, please join me. Then the men said to Lot, these are the two angels who came to visit Lot and were inside Lot's house with him. The men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord be merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back to stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, that would be one of the angels, back to Lot, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. Why did God come to the city of Sodom? What was the reason that God sent the two angels? That God came in, in the image of a man along with two men and came to Abraham and then directed his gaze towards Sodom. God had this incredible compassion on Lot and his family. It was this great compassion in God, which testifies to who God is. It testifies to his nature. It was compassion that moved God. God moved through compassion to get Lot out. God has this incredibly merciful heart towards his children and towards so many people. God is ever patient with people. He is so patient with people. He is patient beyond all understanding with people. Even his children can testify that God's patience is so long. It's so long thrown. God has this incredible, steady 
heart of patience. And he has this incredible heart of compassion. He has a longing of love for his children. He has a longing of love for those who would have a repentant heart toward him and change and become like him. God says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. What do we see in verse 12? And the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. The angels are exhibiting God's compassion. This is an echo of God's compassion. Not just you, your wife, possibly your daughter. Have you anyone else here? Anyone you have in the city? That is a testament of compassion. They want to rescue Lot and the people who are with him and get them out. And this all turns to Lot's compassion in verse 14. But let's back up to verse 13. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Look at the language here. Have you anyone else here? They're listing off sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else and say, bring them out of this place, for we're about to destroy this place because the outcry. This is something great. This is causing God to come down and to act. This is an outcry against its people has become what? Great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. The angels are speaking with urgency on behalf of the Lord. Verse 14. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters. See, back in these times, back in early biblical times and in biblical times, if you were betrothed, you were still considered, essentially, as though you were one in that. So his sons-in-law who were to marry their daughters are still called sons-in-law. Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. Lot seems to hold on to this urgency, to this finality, to this destiny. The angels are going to carry out the work of the Lord, and it will come to pass. What do his sons-in-law do? They seem as though it's a joke. They seem as though this is, not, this is not real. We do not believe, we do not trust in faith. They did not fear before the word of the Lord in this. Their hearts did not feel pressed on them because of the weight of the work of God through the Spirit, through his angels in this. They did not take the word of their future father-in-law, Lot, as though he were genuine, though he were righteous, in compelling them to save their lives. What is the danger of not trusting God in faith? Did Lot's sons-in-law 
who were betrothed to his daughters, did they believe in faith? No, they did not. We can see it in the text. God brought the angels to Lot's family to save them. The angels, out of compassion, were asking, who else can we save? Who else? The invitation is open. Who else would believe? If we told them that God was going to destroy the city, who else would believe? Who else that the word of God would believe? Would they care enough about their life to listen? Would the people care enough about their life? If the message that was being preached, if the message that was being communicated meant their very life or their very death, would they care enough to listen? Lot's sons-in-laws did not. And God is asking all people to have faith in him. And these two did not. And this would cost them their lives. What is the danger of not trusting God? God, who is the author and creator of all things. God, who is the one who sets the course of man's lives. Who numbers his days. Who knows how many days you're going to live. How many days I'm going to live. How many days Lot was going to live. How many days his sons-in-law we're going to live. And that was going to be short. God knows. What is the danger of not trusting God? There are many answers to that because the list is very long. The repercussions of that are very long. The consequences of not choosing God, not repenting to God, not trusting God in faith not joining God in what God declares to be true and righteous and holy and a commandment for a way to live your life? There are many consequences, but one is death. The prominent one is death. You do not, in not choosing God, in choosing not to trust God, this is not a secret, but this is a very direct answer you do not have God. You don't have God's presence. You don't have the spirit in you, with you, guiding you, leading you, joining you, being the companion to you when you are lonely, being the encourager when you are sad, being the comforter when you are grieving being your guide to God in a world of chaos and division, strife and confusion. When you're not trusting God, you don't have God's presence with you. And unfortunately, this might have been contagious because in verse 15, we see Lot who was just so obedient and so trusting of God and the angels the night before 
In verse 15, it's a different story. Verse 15 is morning dawned. The angels urged Lot, saying, see, the angels haven't changed. The angels are doing God's will. The angels are direct about God's will. The angels are on mission. The angels are dynamic. The angels are using danger language. Urgent danger language. We've got to do this. Destruction's coming on the city. You need to do this. Destruction's coming on the city. We are about to destroy the city because God sent us here to destroy it. The angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Exclamation point. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. His response, but he lingered. He lingered. Was Lot having trouble with faith? What was going on? Why would you linger? Would you linger to think that, well, maybe perhaps the sons-in-law would change their mind and decide to come? Maybe somehow the sons-in-law would change their mind, would repent, would come and leave the city with us. But that would not be a reason to linger because of, again, what the angels said in verse 15. Let's read this again. Because, folks, it's not about Lot's choice versus the angels. It's not about he lingered because of compassion or he lingered because he wasn't feeling well. No, it's about obedience. Verse 15, as the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. The angels had already made it clear. Now this is the rescue group. Lot, it is you, it is your wife, and your two daughters who are here. They were all there together. All four with the two angels right there. And they said, this is it, up, take your wife, get out right now. Judgment is coming. But he lingered. The angel's response, verse 16. They seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. And the Lord, I love this, the Lord being merciful to him brought him out and set him outside the city. God has this wonderful, beautiful, compassionate, merciful love for his people. He has this unending love for his people. Abraham had had this conversation with God in chapter 18. God had come down with the two angels and had this conversation with Abraham. And Abraham stood fast before the Lord. Abraham wanted to have a conversation too. And Abraham, I think, was driven by this compassion. He wanted Lot to be saved. He wanted Lot's family to be saved. He wanted anyone of faith in the city to be saved because he walked away after 
If 10 were found in the city, God said I would not destroy it. But now we're at four. 10 were not found in the city, and God will destroy it. And Abraham was moved by compassion, and he had this compassionate conversation with the Lord because he was trusting God. And God listened to him. God had determined that he was going to go and to destroy the city. And Abraham started this conversation with the Lord. And he's interceding for him. And he starts with, well, what if 50 righteous were found in the city? Would you destroy it? Surely you wouldn't destroy it. Surely you wouldn't sweep away the righteous with the wicked. And then God agrees, and then they go down and number, down and number, down and number, down and number, down to 10. And God listened, and God had a conversation with Abraham, and God adjusted his plan based on metrics that Abraham was proposing that God found agreeable to God's plan. While at the same time, of course, God knows all things, and God knew there weren't 10. And God still has compassion. I think God had compassion on Abraham for Abraham's heart. And that's why he listened. And because they had a personal relationship, that's why he listened. And God can choose to do anything at any time. And he only chooses that which he chooses to do at any time. So despite a personal relationship, God is still in control and God does what God wants at any given time. Let me clarify that. But God also has compassion. God could have sent destruction upon the city before sending angels to get Lot out. But he did not hear. God is being compassionate. They brought him out, and they set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. See the consistent language of the angel's urgency? They were very focused because they had a mission by God to do two things. Get these people out and destroy the city. They were very focused. Escape for your life. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. This is the second time they've said, lest you be swept away. What's Lot's reply? And Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords. Oh, no, my lords. What is that a sign of? Disobedience. They say this, Lot says no. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. That much is true. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. That is true. But I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Let's start there in verse 19. He just said two things that were true. 
I do believe he was convinced in his heart that God is going to imminently destroy the city of Sodom. And yet, he is disobedient to God. And for whatever reason, whatever it was, there's an inkling as to the excuse that he doesn't want to flee to the designated space that the angels told him to go. But does he not believe that the angels, if he was weak, if he was tired, if he had a disability, a physical disability, why not obey and go as far as the angels told him, regardless of how far or how long that took him, despite whatever energy or disability he may have had? And we don't know. Maybe he had a disability, maybe he didn't. Maybe he's lingering because it's an emotional response in his heart that is not right. Maybe it's a verbal response on his lips that's not right because this is an echo of what's in his head, which is disobedient to God. Did he not believe that the God who came to him to offer him salvation could not bring him to where the angels told him to go. Absolutely, they could. He said, I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. We know that's not true because of what the angels had just said. Verse 20, behold, this, this city, whatever city that was, a small one nearby, is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one, and my life will be saved? Here would be my concern. This would be my headspace if I picked somewhere closer than where the angels had told me to flee to. Angels, if I went over to this city over here, would I be destroyed by raining fire and sulfur from heaven because of the proximity? Because you're going to destroy entire cities. They're about to destroy entire cities. I wouldn't want to be anywhere close to that. I would want to go exactly where the angels told me to go out of faith in God. God is asking his people to believe him in faith. The angel said to him, behold, God's compassion, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly. Again, urgent language. For I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The angels were focused about what God had called them to do. The angels had faith in God about what God called them to do. The angels had faith that they were sent to Sodom to get Lot and his family and anyone else who would come out and trust them and trust their warning through Lot to get out. And they did that. And the angels were also sent to destroy the city. And they were all about carrying out the mission that God had given them to do because they believed God, because they wanted to be obedient to God, because they love God. 
They said, escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Do you feel the sentiment in those words? The angels are waiting, are waiting, are waiting, are waiting. It's like they're being forced to wait because Lot is delaying their mission given by God. When God gives you a mission, sometimes he speaks to his children and he makes it very clear. He says, I have this for you and I have it for you at this time. Now, sometimes you don't know God's timing, so therefore you are cautious and you are prudent to be a good steward of what you feel God pressing through the Holy Spirit on your heart. And therefore, you seek God's word. You take time in prayer. You invite godly wisdom and counsel from those that you trust in the church around you. And you prayerfully consider over time, God, do you have this for me? What is the timing on this? I want to be obedient to you. The angels had been given a timeline by God. This timeline we can derive here in the text is as soon as you get them out, destroy the city. And get them out. And get them out quickly. Lot was the one delaying all of this here on the second day. Starting in verse 15, it was Lot. It was something about the next morning. I don't know what it was. But can we not relate in certain ways to how we look at what God is asking us to do? Lot was thrown a lifesaver amidst the pending destruction of every single inhabitant of the city where he was living. And then he's all of a sudden not ready to leave. Not ready to go. He's not ready to trust God. He's not ready to run and flee the city, even though pending judgment is coming, even if that means life and death. Why? Was it that his mind had become clouded as to what was the reality of God? His kingdom, his promises, his will, his judgment? Why? What was it? Had he been in Sodom so long that, that his mind was corrupted by the pagan lifestyle of all the inhabitants of the city? That it had crept in and started affecting the way that he processed information? And even with his faith in God? And that he was struggling for what was his greatest allegiance? I, I don't know. Abraham was not in this situation. Abraham had chosen not to be as, a, as Lot had chosen. Abraham did not want to settle among a city of wicked sinners before the Lord, and that's where Lot chose to settle. And still, after Abraham had a heart of compassion for Lot to be saved from the judgment, for anyone who would profess faith in all the city to be saved from judgment, Abraham was focused here on God. And he wanted them to believe in God. 
the angels, the two men who, the two in appearance as men, the two angels from God were focused on God. There was this very determined mindset of what does God want? I want that. What is God telling me to do? I'm going to obey him in that. Because God said it, I'm going to obey him in that. Abraham was focused. The angels were focused. Lot was not focused. But it was worse than that. Lot was disobedient. God had given him very clear instructions through these two angels. They had this urgency, this urgency. Do this. Leave now. Because we're going to destroy the city. Get out. Go to this place. And Lot did not want to follow God in these things. And that is a sign of not trusting God. So at the very least, Lot was struggling with his faith. But God is merciful. God is compassionate. God is patient with his children. And we see a great extravagant patience here. Because we see a very vivid story that we're about to read here in the next few weeks. Next week about God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a very dynamic story in the Bible, and the importance of believing God, the importance of putting your hope and your faith and your trust in God is just as important for you and for me as it was for Lot, as it was for his wife, as it was for his daughters, as it was for Abraham. Because God cares about life. And because God cares about justice. You see, the one who does good appreciates the judge. The one who does good looks to the judge and says, finally, I've wanted justice. I'm going to receive justice. And they are expecting justice to be a very good thing to rule against wickedness or to punish wickedness so that goodness can be affirmed. And we want justice to be affirmed too. And God is the only judge. And yet each one of us, all of us, are not good enough by ourselves to not fear God's judgment. It took Jesus Christ on our behalf to go before God the Father to be the sacrifice that we could not pay for our sins. To take it all upon himself and to die in our place so that he could be the perfect sacrifice unto God for any who would believe in him. So we are not the good ones who are longing for justice before the judge. We are pardoned ones by the blood of Jesus Christ. And only through that 
Can we not fear God in that way? And can we have this expectation of justice to be carried out? And we want justice to be carried out because God wants justice to be carried out. God doesn't like to see his children harmed. God doesn't like to see evil and terror reign on this earth. Because God is about life. And God is about love. And God is about his children. And God is about his family. And God is about his creation. And all men and women have been created in the image and the likeness of God. Genesis 1. And as mankind continues to divide, to seek division on this earth, as, man, as mankind continues to chase death on this earth and chase darkness and chase sin and chase lifestyles of sin and promoting sin and encouraging other people to sin and encouraging adolescents to sin, to live in sin, to think in sin, to dwell in sin, God says there will be justice and there will be judgment because evil and wickedness must be punished. And that is justice for good. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can even see with clean eyes and hear with clean ears so that those who have ears to hear can hear. It's only through the blood of Jesus, through his sacrifice, that we can think this way, that we can live righteous lives because of Christ. Because it is not our righteousness, it is Christ's righteousness before the Father. And it's important that we listen to God. It's important that when God tells us to do something, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, that we listen. It's important that we listen to the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples and then to subsequently all followers after him to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is obedience to our God. Because this is what God is about. God is about his glory and God is about his story to the world. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That means all nations and even areas and groups and peoples and tribes that are not specifically part of a country, quote unquote. or I guess it would be a country or a country in quotes. And this is our God's unending compassion and mercy. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And there will come a day when those who turn their back on God, who have chosen to live their life apart from God. They want nothing to do with God. Judgment is coming. 
And this is not a judgment that is covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a judgment apart from Jesus Christ. So there are only two groups at the end of this life. There are those who have trusted in Christ and Jesus Christ's blood and his sacrifice covers over your sin so that you appear as though blameless before God the Father at the judgment seat. And for those who have turned their back on God, those who have lived in evil and wickedness like those in the city of Sodom, they will face God's judgment in wrath. And they will go to hell where there is unending punishment and evil and death forever. But there is still time. If you are hearing this now and you are alive on earth now, then there is still time to repent of your sin, trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, believe that he came to earth to die on a cross for your sin, to be your savior so that you could be reconciled to God the Father. There is still time. God's patience is very long. But there will be a day when he will judge the earth. Oh, let us be fast to believe and obey God and have the intensity and the urgency and the passion displayed by the two messengers of God in today's text. Let's pray. Oh, loving God and compassionate God, the one is so patient for so many of us, God. You are waiting and you are longing that none should perish without you, that none should turn their back on you, that they would be without your presence and they would be without your love and without your forgiveness and without your fervor. But rather, God, you are willing that they should repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ, your son, the one who came to earth on our behalf, who lived as a man on our behalf to show us the way in humility before you. The one who loved us and was driven by so much compassion that he went to the cross to have nails driven into his hands and nails driven into his feet because of his great love and compassion for us. And then Jesus, you were resurrected to the Father because death could not hold you. May that utterly transform our lives forever. We pray this in your name, amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 19.